Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs. I'm Cam McCachran, joined as always by my co-hosts Nick Richard and Keith Whipple, who are not at all spiraling with the two and two start to the Toronto Maple Leafs season. Uh, I don't know where we want to start, gentlemen. The goalie blew up, and we lost to an ECHL team. Uh, let, let's start with the most recent stuff. Uh, which name surprised you most? When you heard it or or saw the player uh, on the Coyotes on Monday night, Nick, let's start with you. Oh, goodness. Uh, You you really put me on the spot here. Hang on a second. I wasn't paying much attention to the Coyotes. (laughs) I'll say this. I I pride myself on, you know, trying to know a lot of these guys. Obviously, you know, you, you scout like I've kind of always been like a prospect kind of guy, and and now my job kind of requires me to write about the whole league, uh, there were two names that I, I had never heard of in my life. Well, was one of them Matthias Maselli? Yeah, that's right. Or Michelli. He's actually a, a half-decent prospect. Um, someone who used to be a half-decent prospect, who uh, has kind of turned into a journeyman, I, and I had forgotten that he was even shipped off to Arizona this past offseason. I was kind of... Uh, taken back by the appearance of Zach Cassian in that game. Um, but, you know, I was more taken back by the way that the Leafs uh, failed to show up for most of it. <laughs> that that was it for me, too. Cassian, I, I was shocked. Uh, Keith, Keith, what about you? Yeah, Troy Stetcher was probably the name that just feels like a guy that's just never on the same team like to me for very long. And I just... Uh, they all kind of seem to end up in Arizona, so it makes sense. But <laughs> definitely not somebody that was I was expecting to hear, um, much like the rest of the lineup. <laughs> and Halifax is Liam O'Brien as well, who I, I only realized uh, looking at the box score uh, the day after that that he was actually in the lineup. Um, he played like 15 minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, I heard right. his name a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, see, Monday night I had a basketball fantasy draft and I'm usually working and kind of half paying attention for weekday games anyway at the best of time. So I, I didn't catch much of the Coyotes game, but as it turned out, that was maybe for the best. Yeah. Well, the Leafs didn't catch a whole lot of it either. It seemed like they came out with their hair on fire it was like it looked like it was going to be how you set it up cam it looked like an nhl team against an east coast league team and for a while there it kind of felt like the leafs were just sort of playing with their food but wouldn't take a bite and you know after a while it it seemed like it started to get away from them and arizona just kind of clogged up the middle of uh, their defensive zone the leafs weren't able to get to the inside generate anything at all until you you know, they turned it on in the last 10 minutes of the game. I think we've all seen that movie enough times for it to be both incredibly frustrating, but also you're sort of numb to it to an extent at this point. You know, another lazy Monday night loss to an inferior opponent early in the season. I mean, it's, we've all seen it before. With a goal from a guy, from a former Leaf. Like, I mean, the, the minute <laughs> they went on the power form, play. Relief. Yeah, this one's a little extra spicy. But, like, it, as soon as they went on the power play, oh, I bet. I bet Nick Ritchie to score the first goal of the game and was rewarded for one of the first times this year. I, I won, but like th- it was so painfully. As soon as Gosses Bear had the puck and wound up, I knew it was going to Ritchie and going into the back of the net. It, it was it was a frustrating game to watch, and I you know I think we've all kind of collectively on this podcast and pretty much across you know Leafs fans have you know had the mindset of just you know get me to the the playoffs i don't really care what happens but so i'm sure you know you don't want to overreact to a game like that but also it is a bit of a trend with this team i get you know i'm not going to tell people to not be upset at a game like that i get it but 
also remember the way they started last year. I think they were two, four and one or something like that. And then they absolutely were, they probably played at 130 point pace after that. So remember that there's still a shitload of talent on this team, but that doesn't make it any less frustrating in the moment when, you know, they're just zooming around the perimeter and can't really get anything going. Absolutely. Like in the moment and in the moments following the game, it's extremely frustrating. I just, I, I think it's, it's not exactly a sky is falling sort of situation when we're four games in and there's still 78 left on the schedule so i think you know as a whole we've just got to kind of pace ourselves a little bit i'm sure there will be plenty more to be frustrated about as the season wears on and and we'll probably get into some of it here on this episode yeah all i can say about that one like i was in the process of creating a a shitty meme uh, of oliver twist holding out his his bowl and it was please sir i want some urgency (laughs) like and then and then nylander scored so i just scrapped it it was going to be bad anyway but (laughs) man it it really is that's that's the thing it's it's just it's the the frustration of you know it's it is the same old story and and um they're going to turn it around you know they're they're not clicking it's there's a lot of stuff that's going to come around they're going to be fine but yeah it's it's the, the leafs need a landmark embarrassing loss attached to every season and maybe this is the one I'm not convinced there won't be, be worse something worse. Be, yeah, scarier if it isn't. But yeah, <laughs> well, well, kind of to that point, Cam. I was listening to our, our pal Sammy McKee on uh, Leafs Talk following the game last night. He was on with uh, JD Bunkus' new show on Sportsnet, and Sammy was, was kind of getting. You know, they were talking about the call, uh, the hand pass call that negated the what would have been the tying goal for the Leafs late in the third period, and he made the point that he, you know he was kind of glad that that call went against them simply because they didn't deserve to win that game and that you know no. maybe that, that it sort of gives them a, a free pass when they show up and give that kind of effort and are able to turn it on late and, and come back and come away with some points so you know maybe it, it, as frustrating as it was in the moment and stuff I think that they they probably are better off not having been rewarded for that effort yeah I I hear that and and it's definitely true but the flip side of that for me is like how many more lessons did this does this team need to have yeah like you know if if the if the if the if the kind of narrative to that is like well now they know they can't put forth that effort and win the game and if they had a one they would they would that would have skirted by them but like not so much I mean, a lesson as, as it is like like not wanting that negative reinforcement i guess yeah 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 I, like i don't know what it is it's like uh winning from ahead isn't cool you know what's cool coming from behind in the last three minutes and winning that's cool like that like no what's cool is fucking stomping them seven one like it, they should have exactly like that's, that's what i had I, I just, last it, night i did not win <laughs> it, it's just it's tough when yeah this the playing down to the level of the competition and and it's uh, it's just the same old story and and you know maybe it's it's a thing you grow out of eventually but like we we've been waiting i mean I, waiting. even that like if you look at colorado they lost a bunch of games against bad teams last year i i i get that they, that's they like lost a, thing. a last minute comeback against these very coyotes last year and i remember because i had money on that one too <laughs> like i just i i get that that's an easy thing to cling to because we watch 82 leafs games and as leafs fans you know, we we maybe don't watch a lot of games around the league, but bad teams win games. They win twenty or thirty of them every year. So like, they're not always against other bad teams. It's going to happen. And I'm, you know, I, I think I did see something about like the least having the lowest winning percentage when fate, like when their odds were like 
minus 200 or greater or something like that. So maybe there is some truth to it, but it just, I don't know. It doesn't feel like that's the biggest concern to me as, as a fan of this team that they play down to competition because ultimately there's no bad teams in the playoffs and that's all I care about. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't really have a hot take overall, um, like some general observations certainly that we'll get into my, my one big, red flag is I just need Austin Matthews to go out and bury two in a game soon, or I'm going to have to file for chapter 11. Uh, (laughs) We're off to a degenerate start on this week's episode. (laughs) Um, But we want to talk about Matt Murray too, because obviously Saturday, uh, the, the word comes out that he left the morning skate injured and shortly followed by the news that he he's been placed on LTIR. So he's going to miss some time. Um, I mean, a textbook embarrassing loss, the goalie who you had all the questions about with regards to his health and his, uh, you know, quality of play blows up after he had a fairly, you know, not great mediocre at best mediocre at best (laughs) that's that's a good way to put it uh you really just you couldn't have had a more cartoonish type of start to the leaf season could you it's just all of it is right there narrative wise isn't it and it just it feels so eerily reminiscent of the whole morazic situation last year you know like that acquisition was you know questioned by pundits far and wide um and it, almost immediately, it, it seemed to kind of blow up on the Leafs with Mrazek getting hurt after his first game. And, and it's just, it feels like a replay with Murray so far. You know, he comes in with all these questions surrounding his health and level of play at this point in his career. As you said, has a, a bit of a stinker. I will say, like, the entire team played like absolute ass in the opener, I thought. And yeah. he was probably the more of a victim of that circumstance than a culprit of it. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely didn't play all that well. And then for him to get hurt before he can make his second start, it's just, it, it's a nightmarish start for Murray's tenure as a leaf. And he's, think that's got to be a bit of a, a butt clenching moment for Kyle Dubas for sure. Yeah. It like, the, the worst part is the, the, the thing comparing it to the Mrazic thing, but the Mrazic thing at least made sense when it happened. I think like I, I, you know, I was generally optimistic about that. Mrazic, you know, when healthy has been quite good. And I know there's lots of numbers about Murray that when Murray's, you know, not, you know, in, like in his Ottawa tenure, when he was healthy, he like the uh, last year before the injury, he was actually quite good and all that. But I mean, I think, Everybody was a little confused by the Murray thing. You know, I tried to find some optimism in it. And I still think, it, obviously, it could still work out. Um, but for me, it's more just Samsonov has been the more intriguing of the two anyways, being younger and cheaper and still an RFA at the end of the year. I think we all said he could end up being the guy, you know, moving forward. It's time for him to run with it. And I'm excited to see what he can do. Like that, it's more it's more exciting for me to see the, you know, the, the, the younger former number one pick that was kind of very, quite highly touted, um, you know, and that fell out of favor seemingly for, I mean, he didn't play great, but seemingly there was some attitude stuff and some disagreement stuff with the, with the team that, you know, if he's happy in a new place could, could not, you know, might, might kind of factor into him bouncing back. So I'm excited to see him run with it. That's, that's the silver lining I'm taking out of this Murray thing. And, you know, Murray will be back in a month and could play lights out. Like it's, it's, Still a lot, a lot of season left and a lot of time left in Matt Murray's tenure as a Leaf, hopefully. But it doesn't make it any less 
like you say, cartoony. Um, it's exactly what you would expect a Leaf season to start like with them when they make an acquisition like that. And with Samsonov, he's actually younger than the guy who started for the Leafs last night. And I don't think that anyone would have had Eric Schalgren starting uh, within the first four games of the season on their bingo card. Yeah. Well, it depends how, how much of a masochist or pessimist you are, I guess. <laughs> but I, I think it kind of speaks to the the overall thought that maybe Kyle Dubas has struggled to really solidify the goaltending position in his time as general manager. Just the fact that it was Shalgren being thrust into duty at that point in the season already. And it got me thinking about uh, kind of a, a parallel with my football team that I cheer for the Buffalo bills. And, you know, they've put together a really strong team year after year over the last number of seasons, ever since the, their current regime has been in place but their one sort of bugaboo was always the defensive line. And they, they just didn't really have that solid presence or reliable presence, difference maker kind of guy on the defensive line. And this past offseason, the Bills just kind of said, screw it. And they went out and they got the guy. They paid big. They may have sacrificed elsewhere in order to do so. But they went out and they got Von Miller. And through the early part of the NFL season so far, he has been everything and more that they could have hoped for in terms of being a difference maker and and improving that deficiency that they had on their roster. And it just kind of got me wondering if Dubas has maybe gone too long without sort of pushing all those chips into that position and and really, I I know it's not a a perfect comparison because, you know, there's a lot more variance with the goaltending position and things like that, but it just kind of got me thinking uh, on the, along the same lines of at some point, maybe you just have to bite that bullet and do what you have to do to get a guy that you know you can rely on. Yeah, I just, I mean, you, you kind of just said it though. Like, who who is that guy? Yeah, it, yeah. Any any reliable goaltender's not not being, you know, they're not changing hands right now. So it's, I I, I get it. And you, listen, hey, if there was an opportunity, like, would I? But even like this past offseason, sorry to cut you off, but like, no, it's okay. There's ru- rumors that the the Leafs may have preferred Vili Huso. And he only ended up going for a third round pick and signing for a lower salary than what Matt Murray is on the books for anyway. So like, that's kind of what I was more getting at is like not really pushing in to go get their preferred target. And they sort of just, it seemed like they waited till the music was about to stop and they grabbed the last available chair just because that was the last available chair. Uh, yeah, the, I, I was more thinking of like, hey, who was the who was the top goalie on the market last year? And it was Kemper, and he's got an eight eighty five save percentage through three games this year. Are, are we any more comfortable if Kemper p- puts those numbers? Like, but yeah, yeah, who, that's who, a totally fair. Who's was the guy that I was? Yeah, I think everybody could have agreed upon would have would have you know probably been the preferable target, and and him that wouldn't have prevented you from still getting Samsonov either. So um, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you, and and I, it's just it's such a shaky position that yeah i can understand not wanting to push put all your eggs in one basket which you know he didn't do ultimately dubis did not put all his eggs in one basket putting all his eggs in one basket would have probably been trading big for six and a half million dollar um john gibson probably would have been the, the the more eggs in one basket move which yeah who knows if that was to be the right you know nobody can kind of predict it but yeah, and in I, fairness, it's, it's, it's kind of a lot easier to identify Von Miller <laughs> as yeah. you know that yeah. kind of weapon than it is to whatever was available in the goaltending market. Again, just kind of getting back to prioritizing it to the point where you would push for your preferred option, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the, the option might have been 
paying up for Jack Campbell. And that's a, a fun little thought exercise. Would the reaction to, to what the goaltending situation has been here through four games, would it be worse if it is what it is or if they had signed Campbell and he's performing the way he's been performing at Edmonton, right? So that, like, like you said yeah. with uh, with Kemper, you know, you, ju- you just never know when you're signing those guys. But I, I guess the, the the bigger thing for me is like, what's, what's the strategy here in terms of, you know, the long term? It just seems like, you know, so many parts of the organization have been built up since Shanahan and Dubas have, have come in. And it, it seems like only just now do they maybe seem to have a bit of a plan with goaltending, with, you know, bringing in some of these guys like Petrozelli and, and kind of, you know, spending some some late flyers on, on some guys who seem to be looking all right. Um, and, and, you know, obviously the next step is, is to try to develop someone in-house. I know that, Nick, you've been tweeting about Pexa over there in, in yeah. Russia, and, and uh, he's having a pretty nice uh, season so far, right? So He's been on a hot streak for about a year or more now. Yeah, so like you just you hope that one of these guys turns out, and you, know, you, you kind of just have to try to tread water in the meantime, and, and hopefully Samsonov can at least provide that, right? Yeah, well, if he doesn't, you know, Dubas and the rest of his management group might not be around long enough to see a, a Pexo or Oktyamov develop into an NHL goaltender if they're ever able to get there. Yeah, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about Dubas before we wrap this up. But while we're talking about um, kind of the performance through the first few games here, which defenseman would you say is the Leafs best right now? crickets can i plead the fifth <laughs> yeah yeah it hasn't been hasn't been a very good start for the blue line but i mean for me it's probably geo which old reliable been it, steady it's probably not a good sign that a 900 000, is he 900 or 800 800 and something thousand whatever he is your cheap old defenseman is your best defenseman when you're paying morgan riley what you're paying him you know, and, and when you're paying I, I mean, TJ I, Brody and Jake Muzzin and, you know, the, yeah, all exactly. those guys are taking up a significant chunk of the cap. And, and I don't think that, that any of them have really given what you'd hope for early in the season. But I, I think that also extends to a, a lot of the rest of the roster. It's not uncommon to see that early in the season. You know, things got to tighten up a little bit, both with the systems yeah. and just mentally. Right. Like hockey is such a, a mental game. Um, you know, it's, it's so fast and so much of kind of what separates the, the good from the truly great is, is, you know, what's between the ears. Right. So like it, it takes a little bit of time to kind of everyone get up to speed and kind of get, uh, get sorted out there. But yeah, it's, it's not been, uh, it's not been pretty through four games. No, I think Rasmus Sandin has looked like a guy who, who missed a lot of training camp. Um, I think Justin Hall looks like a guy who is barely keeping his head above water and is probably swallowing a bit of water <laughs> in the process. Um, he's really struggled so far, despite his winner on Saturday night, I think. Um, and of course, I'm sure we'll get into Jake Muzzin, but you know, going back to, I, I feel like this is the, the most critical I've ever been of Dubas in such a short span or whatever, but you know, going back to the, the questions surrounding the, the Murray acquisition, there was a lot of questions surrounding holding on to Jake Muzzin over the course of the offseason. And that's another one that, you know, we don't know the extent of his injury just yet, but he also missed a a large portion of the preseason and training camp because of an injury. And now it looks like he might be out for a while yet again with an injury. So it just seems like all these bets that 
Dubas and his staff seem to make in the offseason. None of them have quite uh, worked out yet, and if anything, they've you know gone the opposite direction. I, I'm not convinced that you know he wouldn't have been trying pretty hard to move Muzzin in the offseason. Yeah, and, and we don't like know. knowing yeah. with the with the logjam of defenseman that they had and the cap hit that he carried and the kind of use you can get out of him for that cap hit, knowing that there was some pretty good options available this summer. You know, to either to put on the blue line. Or, you know, reuse the cap up front to help out maybe that second line left wing spot, which I think we're going to get into as well. But like it, that, that I'm, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much of a market there would have been for Muzzin, but I feel like every year you see some guys get moved and you're like, how the hell did they get moved? And uh, like, I've seen him pull, I've seen Dubas pull off crazier things than, than moving a, a busted Jake Muzzin that has two more years left on his deal. But yeah, it hasn't been a good start, but listen, we've seen extremely good starts at this team, and maybe this is and, and it didn't work out. So maybe this is the year that it's it's different. Who knows? But they lost <laughs> we the home are opener, right? Bargaining. Yep. <laughs> is the Dennis Malgin era over after forty five minutes of ice time and one goal? Oof, I, I I think you know at least his firm grasp on, on a lineup spot is certainly over. Uh, and I think it was always kind of going to be sort of a short leash for him, so to speak, just w- with the way that Robertson played in, in the preseason and the fact that, you know, they have him knocking on the door and he is more of like uh, a long-term or at least hopefully a long-term fixture for this franchise. I think it was only a matter of time before you know Malgan was going to kind of find himself on the outside looking in uh, unless he was able to come out absolutely on fire and he scored in the opener but it was a bit of a gimme goal and I haven't really seen a whole lot more out of him in these first few games aside from that so I think yeah you're probably getting into the territory where he's he's hanging on for dear life at this point and I think if everyone was healthy which it doesn't look like is going to be the case for some time here uh, he'd be definitely uh, in danger of finding his name on the waiver wire next time out. Yeah, I think, I guess if you didn't have Robertson knocking on the door, maybe there's a couple of other things that you could try. But I think it's it's pretty likely that we see Robertson play against Dallas. I think I think he's he'll end up drawing in and Mulgan will end up drawing out. Um, although Engvall's done absolutely nothing. So, yeah. I'm back, you know, this podcast is turning back into... Where, where we belong with not liking Pierre Engvall's game. But, um, yeah, I mean, I could see either one of them coming out. And, you know, if, if that's the case, then maybe Mulligan slides down to the, the third line. I'm, I'm not sure what you do there. But in any event, I think Robertson draws in uh, on th- is it Thursday. Yeah, on Thursday against uh, Dallas. Yeah, he gets to play against his big brother. And I think, you know, he sees the opportunity that's in front of him. He knows that he, he's built up a lot of goodwill with the way that he played in the preseason. And this is a real opportunity for him to, to seize it and kind of never look back and really establish himself as a full-time NHLer, I think. And it seems like he's, he's prepared to do so. I mean, we can only go off of what we've seen at him recently and he was an absolute force in the preseason, looked like a different player than we've seen at the NHL level at any time in the last couple of years. And all he did when he was, 
sent back down to the Marlies was score a goal and an assist in the first two games before being recalled to the big club. So uh, yeah. it, it seems like the time is kind of now for Robertson and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of what I, I, I like. What I wanted to ta- ask you guys about was where you think he fits in, at least to start, because we saw it last night. Yarn Croak get a few shifts with the second line, and I've been kind of a fan of that idea since he was acquired because I think he fits very nicely with with Tavares and Nylander in terms of maybe what those two lack, but he can also you know keep you know play at the same pace as those guys and he's got a shot worthy of the top six and i think can help out with some of the forechecking stuff that they might be lacking but um you know so if he goes up to that spot and stays there if keith liked what he saw out of that in the third period you know does it make sense for robertson to start out on a third line and a, and a very sheltered line with kerfoot and engval or even with Morgan? you know, as that, that sheltered scoring line that can come out against lower competition and get the offensive zone starts and stuff like that. And you, do you ease him in or do you put him up and just kind of let him go with the guys that, you know, really kind of play the game at his level or, you know, close to it with, with Tavares and Nylander. So I, I, I don't know what to, where exactly what makes the most sense. I think I would lean towards easing him in. And the only reason I say that is I think so far in his NHL career, he's kind of had the extremes like he's either been thrown out on the fourth line which it's very hard for a guy like that to make an impact in the game on the fourth line especially the way the least fourth line was used back then and then he was also thrown up with you know with Tavares and and, and Nylander before which you know as a at the time a 19 year old kid maybe wasn't completely fair of him to ask of him to do that then so I, I don't know I'm curious what you guys think I think just because of the fit in my head anyways, and what I'd like to see run with it, of, of Yarn Croak with, with Tavares and Nylander. I, I think I like the idea of him starting on the third line, but um, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sold either way. But with Matthews. <laughs> yeah. Well, well yeah. it's funny that you mentioned that cam, because I, I think it's a really fine line between setting him up for success and asking too much of him right away. Um, I would kind of lean more in the direction uh, of where did he seem to find chemistry throughout the preseason when he was looking so good. And it seemed a lot of that time was with Mulligan, uh, oddly enough, but it also seemed like he kind of had something going with Nylander. And I, I think I'd be probably trying to tap into that right away um, with kind of the malaise sounding, surrounding the team uh, at this point. Um, but I think it is definitely a worthy discussion because in the same breath with kind of the turmoil surrounding the team right now I don't think you want to be setting up a 21 year old Nick Robertson as the guy who's going to come in and fix everything that's gone wrong through the early part of the season here so um, it's it's a tough decision it's going to be interesting to see how Keefe decides to play it but I I think initially I would probably lean towards giving him that look with Nylander and Tavares which is probably what he earned with his play in the preseason. Yeah, I, I look at it kind of from a perspective of like not not even necessarily like talking about Robertson right now, but um, I, I'm mostly joking about putting him with Matthews. But that's the line you got to get going right, and it seems like uh, Keith has had his issues with bunting there. Um, obviously, benching him in game one and then moving him off that line as well against the Coyotes. So. Um, it doesn't seem like they're quite as married to that as as they were last season, as we, as we maybe thought they would have been coming in, right? So, um, I could see them, you know, trying some different stuff there. Uh, obviously, Kerfoot got some run there in the third period. I, I don't imagine that's going to be something that holds up too long. I don't think he's the guy to necessarily create the spark, but. 
I, I agree that you know if it's not the first line, it should be the second line. You you want to give him a good opportunity with good players to to kind of show what he can do, right? That's that's what's going to maximize his skill set. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the GM before we move on here because um, something I kind of wanted to touch on in our preseason episode last week we ran a little long so um a bit of a confidence check or here early in the season on kyle dubas um we're all traditionally dubas guys and i, and I wonder how uh that maybe has held up over kind of a disappointing off season and you know a a season going in like where it, it seems like obviously this uh, obviously the stakes are high it doesn't seem like the stakes are high they are um, however, as much as playoff success is absolutely key, I, I think that arguably the more important thing to this franchise is making sure that Austin Matthews is here for the long haul. And yeah. if Kyle Dubas gives you the best chance to do that, well, that is his trump card, isn't it? It doesn't really matter what happens this season. If you think firing Kyle Dubas is going to hurt your chances to sign Austin Matthews, you can't do it. No. And there has been reports of that, of apparently that being something that would help him stay is, is his relationship with Dubas. So I, yeah, without a doubt. I, and I'm like, I still don't think that it's like a, they got to go out and win two or three rounds or Dubas is gone kind of thing. Like I, I still think you got to look at the larger body of work and that, you know, if you're still knocking him for being like, oh, you paid too much money for your, you know, these four players and not applying the context of the cap was supposed to go up significantly and then just didn't, then you're just blind that you're just hating on him because it's easy to hate on him. I think like he's still to me as you know, his entire body of work, I'm still very happy with what he's done. And then I'm even happier with how he's been able to maneuver the cap when it stayed flat and still kind of add, you know, to the team around the margins. And at some point, it's not up to him that the team can't get past the first the first round. Like I, I think he has put a good enough team on the ice to do that at least for the last two seasons. So I'm I'm not in any kind of like this is a, a do or die thing for me. But that said, I if they go out in the first round again, I could completely I could see ha- like ownership having to do that just to be like we can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. But I think that like you said, if that goes back to there's any sliver of doubt that that impacts the ability to sign Matthews and you just, you just flat out can't do it. Yeah. And it's funny you, you mentioned that cam because I was actually in the process of writing an article with that kind of thought process in mind uh, about how that is the most important thing in regards to Kyle Dubas's job security. And then I, as I was in the process of that, I woke up and saw Chris Johnson's article that summarized it all very nicely. And I kind of did, <laughs> did the same thing as you did with your Oliver twist beam and delete scrapped draft. it. Delete draft. Yeah. Um, but I, I really do think that that is what it's going to come down to. You know, of course, this is all of the assumption that they don't find some sort of playoff success because I think it's a moot point then, you know, if the Leafs end up winning a couple of rounds, we're not talking about firing the general manager or the coach at that point. But even if they aren't able to break through once again this year, I think that's something that, you know, the the board and the ownership group and you know Shanny everyone involved really has to take a good hard look and see what that means for being able to retain Austin Matthews. A big thing that everyone talks about in terms of Matthews is, well, the team has to find some success. 
okay, but if they aren't able to, do you think bringing in a new face that he has no prior relationship with, and by all accounts, Austin Matthews and Kyle Dubas have a pretty strong working relationship, I don't think that bringing in a new face is going to add any more assurance to Matthews that what they have going on here is is going to work out. It seems like he is bought in to the philosophy here. He really believes in what the organization is doing. He seems really happy here and seems like a guy who wants to be part of that group that changes the narrative around this team and and helps them find success so uh, i think yeah that's that's got to be the biggest thing in terms of kyle dubas's job security if even if they aren't able to find some sort of postseason success i think if you're doing the devil's advocate thing on, on dubas especially over the last like year or so it would probably just be like you know some of the stubbornness some of the um absolute and it's fair yeah i mean i i think it is like i i think that um you know the the stick to your gun stuff is is good until it's not working and then you know it's it's and it's not like we haven't seen him have the ability to admit his mistakes you know like Mrazek and and you know there's there's been Richie. situations where he's exactly like he 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 can admit a mistake and and you know correct course correct quickly enough but um, you know, it, it's like the stuff with it's almost like the, the reputational stuff, like uh, like continuously bringing in guys who played in the Sioux. Like it, it's all it's like the stuff that like is almost he doesn't uh, do anything to take away the ammo from the, from the people who want to, well, you know, trumpet those narratives did, and criticize him. But he did to an extent when, you know, like the, there there was he got rid of Matt Martin and it was like, Oh, he doesn't, you know, toughness doesn't matter to do, but he's going to put out in. And then he went out and signed Bogosian and Simmons. Like he has kind of gone back and forth. And like, I, I, I was listening to overdrive the other day. I think it was from maybe after the, or before the Ottawa game or something like maybe the Friday, uh, they had Mike Johnson on. And I think Hayes, what Brian Hayes had said something along the lines of like, but the fact that they don't have a traditional tough guy on the team, they don't have a guy that's going to uh, stand up, you know, if somebody runs over Matthews or whatever, is this just Dubis going, you know, Hey, I've tried it a few different ways and this is my last kick at it. And I'm going to really double down on doing things my way and not having like a, a wasted roster spot on a face punching guy like Wayne Simmons or whatever. So I don't know. I, I but they were going on about it, not the team being, you know, not have not being physical, but ignoring the fact that they just signed two guys that, hit all they do is hit so it's they're maybe not going to intimidate guys and and fight all the time but physicality should definitely be there from the bottom of the lineup this year and to kind of tie it all back in with matthews like he has been noticeably more physical this year and i think that and he's even gone and said it's, it's a conscious effort on his part to to try and play that way i think that that sort of permeates to the rest of the team's philosophy too when you've got your big guy the guy who is your unquestioned leader whether he's wearing the C or not, if he's playing that way and injecting more physicality into his game, and you've got those guys around the margins of the roster like Aston Reese and Obey Kubel, who are you know, more than willing to get in there on the forecheck and lay a guy out, I think that the overall team toughness, I'm not really too concerned about that at this point. There's definitely far bigger issues that are apparent at this point. No, I, I don't think that toughness that's not at all a concern to me and that's not what i was kind of getting at i think that it's more so um like it's some of the dedication to his guys like i know that that's kind of one of the narratives that's developed like he loves the loves the small skilled guys and and you know if you look into it like further that's that's not true it's more so like the you know like he 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 went with 
Keith. Keith was his hire. Keith was always his guy, and Keith is going to be his guy right down to the end, right? Like he's not yeah. going to. It doesn't seem like he's going to pivot from that. It just doesn't seem in his nature, and that's the kind of thing like. If you refuse to fire a coach, you're you're not going to be a GM in this league very long because no. that's part of the job. That's that's going to be in the job description at some point, you know. So it, it's it's stuff like that, and it's like I said, the Sue thing, and it's it's stuff like um, you know, like you mentioned the, the the flat cap criticism, and and that's true, but like the absolute dedication to. Um, you know, he said when he was working on all these deals with these guys, like these guys are my guys, William Nylander is not going to be traded as long as I'm the GM, et cetera, et cetera. And like, if we have to recognize that, you know, he got screwed by the flat cap. So does he. Yeah. He also kind of has to recognize, you know, that, that like circumstances have changed and yeah, maybe I, should I know that I, my I know that I have given my word and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, business is business, right? So. Not not to say that like I, I think he should be trading any of those guys necessarily, but just it, it's he 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 is uh, obviously we we've seen him be very. Um, if he goes down, he's going with the ship. Well, we we've seen him course correct, but we we've also just seen him be very rigid on you know on other aspects, right? So that's kind of the thing that I'm I'm more kind of thinking about now as as we kind of go through this season. Yeah, and even on the play, the player front too. I mean, to a lesser extent, but. But still, like there's a couple of his Marley guys in Angval and Hall that are maybe making more than they should for the value they bring to the team and where, you know, potentially could be extracting a lot more value out of the cap by, you know, having something else in in those spots. Like I, I think those two guys have not necessarily ran away with roster spots that it's like, you know, you can't debate it. And yet they have never really come out of the lineup for the most part. So there's definitely been some, you know, stick to that, that maybe, maybe shouldn't have been there. Yeah. And I think it only sort of seems to get worse a- as time goes along. And, you know, it's the same kind of things plaguing this team constantly. And it's the same guys you're pointing the fingers at. Uh, I know like we've always got to have a scapegoat, but it, in terms of like your Pierre Engvalls and Justin Halls through this early part of the season, they've been, you know, well deserving of those scapegoat kind of monikers. And at some point you've got to be able to, you know, acknowledge that something isn't working and and do what you can to to change it up. And if, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how long Dubas will continue to ride with some of these some of these guys like Hall and Engvall if things don't sort of start to straighten out and if they get healthy again and they're right up against the cap you know that there's got to be some bodies that go out in order to create some flexibility and be able to ice your best lineup so I, th- I think you guys are are both absolutely right in the fact that he's been rigid in some of you know the decisions that he's made or not made over the last few years um but on the other side of the coin i think that there's something to be said for showing loyalty to your group and and to your process and and really believing in what you have and it's hard to make an argument against believing in in at least the core that he has here but i think that maybe he's he's got to be reassessing some of the the moves around the fringes of the roster all right. Uh, goaltending controversy, a humiliating loss, existentialism about the general manager. Uh, we've we've really run the gamut on the this week's show here, fellas. 
Um, yeah, looking forward to when they win four straight and we don't ever have this tone again <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Until the playoffs. <laughs> Until the playoffs. Yeah. Um, Gotta ask your guys' thoughts on uh, Josh Naylor's home run celebration. Ah, uh, man. Like, I'm all for having fun and, you know, let the kids play. I knew, but, like, I knew you'd have this take. I knew it. <laughs> it's, it's, maybe it's because I spent an entire summer playing on a ball team with a bunch of guys who are from that old school. But I'll tell you, man, like, you do something like that in the league I play in, you don't want to bat again that season. Put it that way. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's something you do when you take the lead or you are it's a walk off or something. That's the funny part. He lost. They lost. That's that's the funniest part. Like situationally, I just don't. I, I don't get it. It, it just it seems so like telegraphed or like like premeditated. Yeah, it doesn't have the raw emotion of a you know you hit a big shot and you fire your bat and you're yelling around the base or whatever. It's like he's been thinking about it for <laughs> it well. Apparently, so this is funny. something he does all the time. Or <laughs> I just. I, I, I don't like it. Call me old. Call me crotchety. No, I whatever. get it. I, I get it. I, I I just I just thought it was so funny. Like, the, but the circumstances, yeah, obviously, it's. Uh, I I get why everyone's pissed about it. I love it. it because it was Garrett Cole, and he's <laughs> yeah, a fucking knob. Uh, yeah, <laughs> having it happen to the Yankees, I'm a okay with that. But I mean, like, if I'm sitting on the bench and and that's happening to my team. Uh, I, I'm in a very bad mood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can, I can understand that too. Because, like, I think, I mean, it's been beaten to death. We don't need to get into it. But like, bat flips, fine. Pitchers fist pumping and whatever, fine. Like, you should be able to celebrate your victories on the field. But I think when like choreography comes into it, yeah. I think everybody just always has had the mindset of like, just don't disrespect the other guy. Yeah, and that's def- that's definitely what because I don't think that flipping There's your nothing bat else he was doing and, and, but and hopping around. No, yeah, <laughs> flipping the bat and hopping around and beating your chest and shit like that. Like that's that to me, that's not disrespecting the other guy. That's just celebrating. Yeah, like, and but, again, yeah, it's the that's raw emotion. Com- the complete opposite. Yeah, like you get the celebrations born out of pure joy or raw emotion or intensity or whatever. That was like. I don't know. This douchebag move, <laughs> but given a pass for me because the guy he's disrespecting is Garrett Cole. Yeah, it's not like Garrett's going to walk past the Audi sign anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. Next <laughs> week, I play both of you in fantasy hockey, and you'll both be my fucking son. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the Yankees have closed out Cleveland. I don't know if you guys saw that. That one just went final. So. Yeah, just um, uh, baseball yeah. season still going That's on. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, so is football season, um, and I'm wondering: should the Bears send the Broncos flowers and chocolates for taking all the heat and obscuring the fact that Chicago will have played three of their seven games in prime time after Monday? Yeah, I saw <laughs> that they had the Monday night game. I was just, I just laughed. I just laughed. I, I. I don't know. There's, I don't know what else to say about the Bears. I've wanted, like, I want the Bears to finish. I want a high draft pick. I, I don't want them to be an eight and nine team or a nine and eight team. I don't think that that does them any good. Like, I just think that you just would like to see a little bit more out of Fields. I think he's been better the last couple of weeks at moving the ball, and then just in the red zone, they just kind of freeze out, and he's still doesn't really. I keep seeing this like overarching thought that the Bears O-line is actually good, which is ridiculous. They're, they're pretty good at run blocking, but their pass blocking is awful. 
And uh, yeah, so he still has got no time. I don't think he's helping himself. He's missing a lot of open reads and stuff like that. But you just kind of hope that he takes a, a step this year. And, you know, but I don't know if we've necessarily seen that. But ideally, they don't win another game for the rest of the year. I mean, they have a, like a ridiculous amount of cap space next year, potentially a high pick. Like that's what you want in rebuilding a team. And I've seen a lot of people kind of criticizing polls and stuff like that. But what was he supposed to do? Just go out and sign a bunch of crappy free agents and hope for the best. Like I think the long-term burn it to the ground approach is what makes the most sense for that team. But that said, I don't know if you want them on, on primetime four <laughs> times at the beginning of the season. Yeah. The NFL is really crushing it with oh, the primetime schedule this season. It's bad. Yeah, it's especially bad. Especially Thursday. <laughs> I, uh, I, I know a guy, a coworker actually was at Denver Indy. <laughs> Literally insult to injury. Okay. His son, they they had been planning this all along because his son is a big Jonathan Taylor fan. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> and he got injured the Sunday prior. And uh, then, yeah, the, the worst, the worst game of all time, possibly. Did you guys see that? I, I, I retweeted it today. I don't know if you saw the stat about um, when, when the last time... All, all this went down. I, I'll read it to you because it's really good. If you guys haven't seen this, I I think I saw it, but I, I forget it now. It was like the last. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, go ahead. Um, th- this is my favorite stat of the year so far. Any sport. The Colts Broncos game is the first NFL game in which each team took multiple sacks threw multiple interceptions, had multiple fumbles and failed to score a touchdown since a Giants-Bills game on October 18th, 1987. Okay? That was the last week with replacement players during the strike. (laughs) That is OptiStats on Twitter. Uh, Incredible. It's a phenomenal stat without the last sentence. (laughs) This hasn't happened since 1987. That would have been crazy. It's the ultimate cherry on top sentence to close that one out. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah Ramondre stevenson will run for 270 yards on the bears on monday night yeah <laughs> for sure and whoever the fuck that zappy guy is, is gonna throw for 500 yards yeah. uh, but nick you're you're flying high after a big sunday game maybe that's why i'm having a, a harder time getting too worked up about the leafs early season struggles because boy oh boy the buffalo bills are a lot of fucking fun and they are very good and yeah i'm definitely still riding high off of uh, sunday's big win over the chiefs uh I, I know that they also managed to beat the chiefs in the regular season last year and it meant diddly squat when the playoffs came around but uh this one felt a, a little different uh, it was just kind of came down to a, another late fourth quarter drive and josh allen just Went beast mode, like hurdling guys, firing darts yeah, into the end was, zone. Like he, he's that a was a holy shit man. moment. Uh, yeah. But you know what? It's like you listen to the guys on, on the Bills team when they're asked about him. It's we expect that now, and it's like yeah. it's, it's it's hard not to. It's like this guy is the ultimate gamer. You, you see him going up and down the sidelines, firing up the defense and firing up his O line, and he's just like if you could create a quarterback leader in a lab. I, I don't know how you come out with anything other than Josh Allen and the, what, what he's proven capable of, you know, over the last year and a bit and into the early part of this season. I'm just, it, he's a joy to watch and he's got so many weapons around him. 
uh, I can't wait to see how they find a way to break my heart in a couple months. He's like if Eric Lindros was the toughest guy in the world and never got injured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned like the the now that the pass rush is kind of looked after as that was maybe the Achilles heel or whatever. It seems like the run game hasn't maybe been the best thing, and, and it's now seems like they're in the market trying to trying to upgrade there. So. That'll yeah. be scary if you guys end up with like a, I don't know if McCaffrey's, he's been rumored to a couple of places, but it seems like he's on the market and at least they're sniffing around on him. And, it, you know, you, you add a guy like that and he stays healthy, that's frightening for the rest of the league. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. The the running game has definitely been like their biggest area of concern early on. Uh, they had their best game on the ground. This Singletary past looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, he had seventy some yards in the first half, which is you know I I think maybe more than he's had in an entire game at any other point during this season. Um, yeah, but the, the rumors of McCaffrey are certainly exciting. It obviously cost a a boatload to bring him in uh, in terms of uh, trade assets, but it would certainly be. Um, true to form for this Bills regime to dip back into the, the Carolina Panthers pipeline. Uh, that, that's where both Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott uh, come from previously before being in Buffalo. And that connection has been well-established. It's almost got a, a bit of a Kyle Dubas and the Sioux vibe. So uh, kind of fingers crossed, see how it plays out. Um, but uh, trying not to get my hopes up too high for an acquisition of that magnitude. Ironically, the Bills would look like a, a junior hockey team that is loading up for the fucking Memorial Cup, where they just have a, a bunch of <laughs> yeah. top stars at every position. It's it's yeah. wild, really. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, well, let's hope things turn around for the Leafs here over the next uh, few games. They've got Dallas coming up. Um, you know, we're, we're hoping for Ilya Samsonov to step up and, and he's got quite a, a challenge at the other end of the rink, man. Ottinger. Holy shit. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's a hell of a player. It's real coming out party for him in the playoffs last year. I think, uh, you know, over the course of the next season and a bit, we're probably going to be talking about him quite a bit as one of the upper echelon goaltenders in the league. And uh, yeah, must be nice to have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you, you kind of just half expect these playoff darlings to to regress especially for for goaltending but uh no nah, he's yeah, the real he, deal he's, good he's got stud stuff yeah he, he's good he's good um so th- they're in town on thursday and then the leafs uh, head out west for five um so lots of uh, western competition here coming up Good time to tighten things up. Big challenge for Samsonov, but a huge opportunity for Samsonov here. This is what he wanted when he signed with the Leafs. Yep. Uh, I don't know if you know he had a bit of uh, foresight into uh, what might happen with Matt Murray, but this is exactly what he wanted when he signed up with the Leafs, and uh, he's got a real opportunity to run with it and uh, establish himself as the guy here. So let's hope that he's able to do so. And if not, next week, fire and brimstone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 